All right, we're going to continue this week in uh, what I started last week. I called the Great Awakening. What happened in the book of Acts? Most of our uh, Bible stories are, are about Jesus, you know, walking on the water, which is really cool, or raising the dead man, or healing the sick, and, or rising from the dead. That's a pretty big one. You know, uh, those are the stories, and we stop kind of there. We don't really look at what happens after that. What happened after he rose from the dead? And last week we touched on some of that. And I want to do a race through, it says a walk or adventure through, the book of Acts. And that can sound boring, but it isn't. Especially when you start to see how God did some working in people's lives. How he woke them up to keep them growing more. Because some of us think we've arrived. We've been in church most of our lives. Some have never been to church. Some don't care. You know, it's not about that. But some who have been well-steeped in churchianity, you think you know it all. I know my Bible stories. You can't teach me nothing new. Then why are you here? Uh, Really? This is not about learning something new. It's not about cheering what you already know. This is about connecting and encouraging one another. What I'm hoping to show you is show you some stuff that may not have been obvious to you because you know by now I got this ADHD thing and I can see weird stuff and sometimes really humorous stuff in scriptures that nobody else can see and I quickly move on because nobody else saw it either. So it's really fun. But this whole book of Acts, so I want to I take you through this. The Great Awakening. Here's what I want us to do in the next number of weeks as we go through some of this. I want you to look for these things. Number one, looking for the revelations as individuals continue to grow in grace. Every single person in the book of Acts continued to grow in grace. One of the greatest ones was the Apostle Paul. One of the ones that may surprise you is Peter, who should have known a whole lot, but he had a whole lot more to learn. In fact, Paul is the one who kind of encourage them. Hey, you're wrong about this. I am not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. And they do all that and finally get along later. It's really kind of interesting. Happens in the church today. (laughs) Recognizing how the disciples went from running in fear to staring death in the face. When Jesus was taken away into the garden, the disciples scattered. They took off. They were afraid for their lives. But what happened? What happened in Acts where they stand so boldly, they're ready to die. They're ready to preach the good news and not religious news. Good news. What's the difference between religious news and good news? Well, religious news has to do with a system of religion about rules. You need to act a certain way in order to become right with God. In order to stay right with God, you've got to follow these rules, and you need to think like us. We're in, they're out. That's religion. The Christian religion does that too. But Christianity should be about the gospel that Christ has done it. It's finished. Now declare this good news. Believe it because it'll transform you. It's already been done. And that's, that's really cool. And you're going to see how different people wake up and have a boldness that they couldn't muster up themselves. Let's look at what happened to the early church and how it developed. Is this what we have here, what God designed in the book of Acts? Is this what God hoped the church would look like? Is is the buildings and the system we have, is this what the church should be? I don't think so. But it's what we got. It's where we are now. And God is going to continue to transition and grow us to becoming the body of Christ better and better. We learn from mistakes. Ooh, that didn't work. That was never God's idea anyway. I guess I misheard that. Oh, really? 
So if you've misheard it once, maybe it's possible you've misheard it again. Maybe there's some humility required in the church, especially with leaders and pastors who think they know it all because they've graduated from Bible college. No. When we have that arrogance of knowing it all, then we create a distance. We create a gap, us versus them. We're here together to grow and learn as a community. I've had folks challenge me on stuff, and we've had coffee, and we've talked through things. The Grounds and Grace group, I've learned from, and I've stolen Lorinda's comments once in a while and used them in my sermon, pretending it was my own thought. You know? <laughs> no, I give her credit for it when I remember. You see, if you, if you take credit, if you take credit, if you give credit once, it's somebody else's. You repeat it, you said somebody said, and then after a long time, it's your own thoughts. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> I also want you to look at how the good news spread around the world. This good news from the time of Christ. Remember, there were 12 disciples. How can 12 guys have such an effect in spreading Christianity, not the Christian religion? Okay, you do know the difference. Rules are about religare. The Latin word religare is where we get the word religion from. It means to bind up. If I have a, well, here's a great one. Where's Russ? Where's Russ hiding? Put your hand up, Russ. Ha! Just kidding, he can't. It's broken. <laughs> well, his shoulder is. <laughs> he just had surgery. You know, does, he doesn't have a cast, does he? Okay. But if you have, let's say he does break his arm, okay, which I've done, they put a cast on it. They religare it. They bind it up to help it heal. But it doesn't stay on. Ooh. See it, Terry? It's two in a row. I love it. Firemen are the greatest. <laughs> He's a volunteer firefighter, if you didn't know. So, the religare, to bind up the arm, it has a time and a place. It goes on for a period of time. But if it stays on well past that time for, like, let's say, a year, what happens? What happens if you leave a cast on for two years? It gets rotten, gross, and you can, ugh, you can go down a really ugly trail fast. It was never meant to stay on. But that's religion, system of rules to control people. When we see the Spirit of Christ actively alive in people, that is the church, and Christ's faith comes out. Can it look like it's got some human rules? Like, example, we're a, a Canadian charity as a church. We're a registered charity, and there are some rules by the government, which is different than rules from God, okay? Religion mixes those up. Here, we say these are from the government. We have to have members and have to have some code of conduct. That's great. And usually it's a willingness to uh, adhere to them. They're not burdensome either. But when it comes to in Christ, Christ has already declared us right. And if you don't know it, you're going to try to become more right. And the good news is Christ has already reconciled you and made you right. Now believe it. Enjoy it. So that's what, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see some of the struggles the early church had. We're going to see persecution. A huge persecution happened where even Paul, the Apostle Paul, before he was an apostle, he was out to kill them all. He thought they were, this is the greatest blasphemous thing ever, and he wanted to wipe it out as a zealot Jew. He was so determined. Well, what happened? How many of you remember Paul Anderson Walsh? He's spoken here a couple times. 
Uh, he did a series on Acts, and I gleaned some pretty cool pieces of info from him, giving him credit first time. You know, Luke and the Gospels are about what God did for mankind through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's a wordsmith. You'll catch that in the next line. So this is about the Gospels and Luke. Um, what, what's, the, what's the connection and the message to us? Well, here's what happened in the book of Acts. Acts is about what God did in mankind through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Up here is what God did for mankind, taking all of humanity into himself. Now we're going to see through Acts what God does in, how Christ wants to live in and through us, and what that looks like. Here the power of the Holy Spirit lived through Christ. Now we're going to see the Holy Spirit living in us, and we're an agent. We're the conduit of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like? And man, it can get scary, especially if you think you can control the Holy Spirit. Ha! They can't. The agency, the word agency means intervention, assistance, activity, organization. Oh my goodness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is in charge of all this activity. I think in religion, we try to help the Holy Spirit out too much. We try to do it for him. We see the end result. We want that goal. Here's the steps. We get there. Where's the Holy Spirit going? Good luck, guys. I didn't, I, I was not me, but I'm still going to work in it because God is grace. How's that work? I don't know. Acts is a book of actions or acts of grace because we're going to discover we're no different than the early church. We're just as human. We have the same tendencies to want to help God out, a.k.a. control things around us, and we're going to see God do a really gracious change inside the hearts of individuals, revealing himself inside them. And this is the fruit of it. You become less judgmental. You become a person who genuinely loves others. You don't see us versus them, dirty versus clean. You don't get to judge that. Who made you judge? Uh, you. Not Jesus. Jesus sees the heart and soul of all of us. He sees the deepest intent of us. Even if we see someone else's actions, we judge them, but we don't know what's really going on. It's not simple. Here we go. Acts chapter 1. The story continues. And so this, there's a really short summary that happens at the start of the book of Acts. Um, uh, he writes, this is Luke writing it, by the way. Luke writes the book of Luke, and he writes the book of Acts. In my first book, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Now, just a heads up on Theopolis. The reason it's highlighted is there's a couple tracks of thinking of who Theopolis is. Some believe he is a, an actual person, which there's a great case for that. But there's also some who say he's not really a person. The name means lovers of God or loved, loving God, something like that. And so there's a suggestion that Luke is writing it to all those who love God. Wherever you may be, here's the story for you. Tomato, tomato. It could be either or, but that's what it says. You wouldn't know that if you didn't do any research. You go, does that matter? No, but it's cool. All right. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is a big day. Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. 
he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. This book is about the kingdom of God. Some of you may ask, what is the kingdom of God? (laughs) Yep, that's a great question. And I'll bring in a guest speaker to address that one. There we go. But honestly, the kingdom of God is actually in us. There's going to be a lot of clues through the book of Acts what the kingdom of God is. And, you know, it's a seek ye first the kingdom of God. Remember that? Well, Jesus is the kingdom of God. Jesus is. It's so simple. We've made it so complicated. See what happens. Now, that was the intro. And now we do this. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Another translation implies that while they were baptized with water, yes, this says they'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but they'll also be baptizing in the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is like a, a mantle being passed on. This is a mindset that they didn't know what was coming. They had no clue. They're, again, you've got to remember, their plans were failed. Jesus died. This guy who was going to take over the Roman kingdom and destroy the enemies and become the dictator of the world because the whole Israel history was about kings dominating, taking over, ruling, conquering, battling, all that stuff, and ooh, God gets the glory of all that. That's what their mindset was. It was not what Jesus intended. Jesus came with a completely different plan. He came as a servant not a dictator. And he served so well that he served himself, gave himself up to be a sacrifice. Like, no king does that. No ruler does that. They send somebody that's a pawn to go die. Like, no, Jesus himself came. He's the one who gave himself. Anyway, the beginning is just setting up the story. Now, here we go. This is where things get crazy. The ascension. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Ta-da! There's the clue. They were expecting Jesus. And this is after the this is like after. This is after the resurrection. And they still ask, so when's the takeover happening? When do we pull the armies? You do remember earlier before Jesus was killed and they say, hey, why don't you get rescuers to help you? We say, hey, listen, if I needed that, I'd, I'd equip my disciples and they would go to battle for me. He didn't need that. He was thinking of a different kingdom than this earthly kingdom. His kingdom was to rule all, not just this creation. Okay? This is bigger. So they had a really big mindset. They were ready. In, in fact, the first part of Acts, you're going to see them trying to shift their thinking. Like when you're ingrained in the system for so long, of sacrificial system, the, the offerings, the sacrifice system, the, the, the parties they had to have, the celebrations, the rituals, every year, it was all scheduled out. They didn't even have to think. 
show up. Oh, today is Don, Don Computer, or this day is, is this one. It's, you name it. You, you pick any celebration. They don't have to think. They just go through the routines, routines, almost like old churches. You know, just routine. You don't have to think. You, you go through the written things, and it can lose meaning. Now, I'm not making fun of older churches. There are places that have deep meaning in their ritual. And for those who get it, it's meaningful. For the observer looking in, we go, that's just a ritual. It's meaningless. Don't judge too quickly. There's truth there. There's a reason some of this came about. But here, because they were so stuck in their old Jewish background of how to behave and listen to the priests, that's all they knew. They're not used to new. They're not used to having to trust the Holy Spirit to be a teacher. He hadn't technically arrived in the big woohoo show that's about to happen. I don't know, no, we're not going to talk about today because I, uh, I don't think we're going to get there. But this is still a, a really important um, mindset we need to see. Here he goes. He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, I have a hunch many in the church don't know what witnesses means. We usually think it means somebody who talks about and expresses what they've observed. But in other translations, and from the Hebrew and Aramaic, it implies messengers, and look at this one. You'll be my martyrs. Sign me up. <laughs> Do you really want to go there? I kind of like living a lot. You know, breathing, it's a good thing. You know, but here, he's warning them. You'll be my witnesses. You'll be my martyrs. You'll be my messengers. The message you're going to present could cause martyrdom. That was the whole essence of the word being used there. We have nothing today in our Canadian culture that we would, we would martyr ourselves for when it comes to the Christian faith. There's so much freedom in this country. We underestimate how much freedom we truly have. Go to some other countries today, and it's scary. You, if they find out you're a Christian, they'll kill you. You, know, you put a bad Facebook post up in the wrong country, they'll kill you. You, know, you have to follow their rules. Please, we have become so accustomed to the freedom we have to believe or not to believe. It's a gift. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The earth as they knew it at that time. These guys, these individuals were going to be the witnesses. What were they going to say? Repeat everything he taught Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Huh, that's a really good question. What is the message then? We'll get to that later. In verse 9, it says, After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising to heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Boo! Can you imagine that? They're all looking up, and from behind them, boo! Ha! That freak them out. And they're white. They're clearly not locals. Like, okay, there's been a bunch of angel show up stories, you know, 
Angel shows up to Joseph. Angel shows up here and there. I tell you, I, I still pray. As a kid, half my prayers were, please, I want to see an angel. Just, just one minute. I'll believe real good and I'll behave. I won't do that sin anymore if you show me an angel. I, I prayed those prayers. Anybody else kind of weirdly do that? I met. Oops. Okay. See, oops. Turn your ringers off, folks. There we go. Sorry about that. Somebody's, thanks, Judy. Yep. <laughs> she was commenting on something I just said. <laughs> I love it. Ah, it's on vibrating now, so nobody else can do that. <laughs> After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud. So a cloud came and lifted Jesus up. Okay? The cloud brought him up. Now, how high did he go? We don't know. They strained to see. They couldn't see. Could it be because the cloud got so thick and they couldn't see? Did it go up out of the atmosphere? Did it go up to the moon? Did it go beyond? Like, those are thoughts I had as a kid. I, I, listen, I had too much time to think sometimes. But basically, we're seeing the cloud being what took him and carried him. Now, you're, we're, in a few moments, we're going to see why the cloud is an important symbolic image, okay? You can't underestimate why that's there. While they were watching, and they could no longer see him, as they strained to see him rising to heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? I would think it would be obvious, right? <laughs> I, I, sometimes God has more of a sense of humor, and, and you think he's sarcastic. You thought you were sarcastic. Ha! I thought, anyway, that's what I saw. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This comment has a lot of ramifications. What does that mean? Let's visit this cloud stuff. If we look all through Scripture, the cloud symbolizes the glory of God, the aura of God, the light, the radiance of God, the power felt or power seen. That's the glory of God. We do this for the glory of God. Well, that's nice, but is it the power of God, the essence of God, the the the? The sense, the, the light, is, is that what's coming out of us? Here we got the cloud. The cloud came and grabbed Jesus and lifted him up. Look in Exodus 13. When they went into the, into the desert, this is the people of Israel leaving Egypt. What led them? It was not a GPS, I promise you that. It was a cloud. The first GPS. Yep, that's what happened. So a cloud led them, and at night it was What? fire. Okay, you need to do some research. Go home and Google two things, cloud and fire in the scriptures. What are the symbol symbolic meanings of fire? That one will take you on a major rabbit trail, and it's going to bring you to the love of God. They were led by the love of God, which is a consuming fire, which purifies that's, the, that's what happened at night. In the daytime, it was a cloud that led them, and all could see it. Okay? That, that, this is the imagery. That's in Exodus. And there's more. I'm not giving you the exhaustive list. I'm just giving you a few. In Exodus 16, God's presence was in the form of a cloud. When Moses went up the mountain, they saw a cloud had enveloped the mountain, and it seemed to be rumbling and shaking, and it was scary, and Moses went up to it. 
He went up to the presence of God because that's how God allowed himself to have presence among his people. After that, he ended up being in the temple that there was this, that holiest of holies was supposed to be the dwelling place of God, symbolically for the people, but for the Jews, it was literal. God was there. Does that mean God was absent from somewhere else and that's the only place he lived? No. For them, he was there. That was the physical presence of God, and they knew it. It was, it was really important. Then God speaks out of a cloud at Christ's baptism. You forgot about that one. Yep. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's my boy. That's what God was doing. God the Father was showing pride in his boy, in his child, and what was about to happen. And he said it from a cloud. Then we have Luke 9. Jesus is enveloped by a cloud at the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. There's this cool vision that happens, and two guys show up with Jesus. Who are they? Anybody remember? One, Moses and? Who's the second dude? Elijah. Each representing two really important historic things in the life of Israel. Moses representing what? The law, the system. Then Elijah he represented the prophets and the foretelling and the better news. Lots of grace coming out of those prophets at times. And then God the Father says to those watching, this is my son. Listen to him. Not the law, not the prophets, him. We run over this little story way too quickly in the church. It dovetails perfectly with Philip, who said, hey, show us the Father. You're like, we'd like to see him. Can you open our eyes? Do that funky miracle thing. We just saw what you did there. Can you open our eyes? And Jesus said, oh my goodness, guys. How long have I been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. Most people think God the Father and Jesus are, are separate personalities with separate passions and values. God the Father's the ticked-off angry God with the, you know, um, uh, multiple personalities. So you got to tiptoe carefully to make sure you, you don't tick him off because then he'll get really ticked off. And, and, or if you're really good, he'll bless you. And it's, it's schizophrenic almost. That's not at all. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm correcting the image right now. All of the Old Testament writers, none of them knew the Father. Not one. Jesus said, I reveal the Father. I. He's the one. Hmm. That has some ramifications and could cause us to go visit and revisit some stories and say, wait a minute. Has my image of, our, of my Heavenly Father been incomplete? That's a great word. Yes. It still is. Your image of who you think Jesus is is incomplete right now. None of us have the full picture. But I'll tell you, as I'm growing these last couple of years, I'm seeing a bigger, wider, and better picture of who God is and who his son is and who the Holy Spirit is. And it's getting less and less scary. It's like far more attractive. It's like, oh my goodness, how could I have believed the separation? How? That's why God said to the, to the disciples, this is my son, you listen to him. This day forward, move on. He was taken out of their sight when he was taken up, not absent from their presence. How do we know this? 
Well, we clearly know from the writings of Paul that Jesus was the one who created the world. God the Father created the world through Jesus. Jesus is the creator. All right? God's all connected with it. It's great. But Jesus is the creator. And in Colossians, it tells us that Christ holds all things together. You've got to remember this. Christ, since Christ entered, created the world, Christ entered the world as a man. He entered himself. The universe is in Christ. How does that work? I don't know. I need a Doctor Who episode to make that clear because just uh, there's no way to get that. So he was still there. He's still present, but the uh, physical manifestation went out of sight, but he was still present. There's no place God isn't because he holds all things together. Therefore, no one or nothing is separated from God. Nothing, ever. It's an impossibility. If there's something separated from God, it's its own deity. Think about that. He will return in his glory. The way you've seen him go, he will come back. One thought can be he'll physically come back down. Ooh, hi guys, I'm back. You know, that's possible. But there's also expressions of Christ's glory back right now in you. You are an expression of the glory of God right now. Colossians 1.27, psst. Here's the secret, which is no longer a secret anymore because I'm telling you, because it's not a secret if I tell you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the kingdom of God has come. It is Jesus. Let me, let me do a, a weird funky for you in a minute. Do you remember the story in the book of Daniel? Um, uh, he, there's a, the king dude, I think Nebuchadnezzar was his name, uh, he has this dream, and they can't figure out what the meaning of this dream is, and the king's really upset, and he says, you know what, if nobody can figure out my dream, I'm going to kill all my wise men, all my dream sayers, and all that stuff. He was going to wipe them out. Well, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of that crew, and they got wind of this, and Daniel prayed, God, give me, give me an answer for this dream. So here's the dream. <laughs> I love this. The dream is a statue that has been made of King Nebuchadnezzar in his image, all right? So the top head, you know, the face, the, it's gold. Like money, money, money. Then he got this part here, silver, right? And then the next part, uh, I think it's bronze. And then he's got, I'm trying to remember now because I haven't got it in front of me. I think it was uh, uh, iron. And then the feet, were iron and clay mixed. Do you remember that story vaguely, some of you? So this is the image the king had. And so David, or Daniel now comes to the king and says, here is the dream. And he tells him the dream. Here's this image with all the parts, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there is a rock that was cut not by human hands. And it came and it flew, arrived, hit the feet of this statue and shattered the feet and the whole thing came tumbling down. And here's the best part that most people forget about that dream. The rock grew, and here's the best part, and filled the whole earth. Covered the whole 
earth. All scholars that have studied this agree on almost every single part of that statue and what it represents. There are times, the Babylonian kingdom, the Persian kingdom, and eventually they got the Roman kingdom, the iron, right? This is, this is it symbolizes times. <laughs> Ten toes of mixed iron and, and, and clay. Clay's not very strong, right? You can kind of, ooh, gone. Um, but mix it, if it's mixed, it's not solid. There's something wrong. It's not adhering to each other. Keep this in mind. What was going on at the time of Christ's birth? Who was in charge of the world back then? Which kingdom? Romans. And tell me how many provinces there were. Ten. And they were divided. There was in-house fighting. There was jockeying for position. There was a guy who took out his own mother so he could be ruler of this and some other guy he killed. It was like brutal slaughter of each other just so they could be the Neros and, the, and the, the leaders. Oh my goodness, it was bad. This was a divided kingdom. The rock came, smashed. The rock is Jesus, I believe. Jesus arrived. The kingdom of God arrived when Christ was born. And it filled the whole earth. And do you know what that says to me? Hope. Enough of this fear-mongering. The world's getting worse. Yes, we can look at the newspaper and and the news and, and see and only hear the negativity. But the kingdom has come. It's here. And lives in you and in me. It fills the whole earth. God wins! Jesus arrived right at that time. That the clay, the ten, um, the ten toes, and the mixed clay—that's the one that's in dispute. People don't um, agree that. Wow, that's still coming. That's in the Book of Revelation. That's going to be the end of the world. Really? What, what changes the progression? Each kingdom found itself right after another, after another, after another. It makes logical sense. That is what it is pointing to. Jesus arrived. And I think he lives in us. He lives in you. And for those who don't believe, let me put it lightly. (laughs) No pun intended there. His light shines through all people and all things, whether they're aware of the light or not. That's why Jesus said, if the light that is in you, if that light that is in you, that one, in you, if that light is darkness to you, who that's dark. Light shines through all. Speak to the light in people, not to their behaviors. Their behaviors are only responses to what they're believing and seeing at any given time. Sometimes it's holy, sometimes really unholy. But the light shines through, and there's hope. You betcha. What happened? Next, this is from the Passion Translation. That was the New Living Translation just before. Now I'm switching it out. The disciples left Mount, the Mount of Olives and returned to Jerusalem less than a mile away. I have a, I have a hunch. It doesn't say this, but there's a good chance this was a Sabbath because the Jewish rules said you could only travel one mile as a Jew. I think it was a mile, something like that. It wasn't kilometers because they didn't have kilometers back then. <laughs> That's a joke. 
But either way, it was only a short distance that was safe enough for them to walk and not get in trouble from the Jewish leaders. Arriving there, they went into a large second-floor room to pray. Those present were Peter, John, Jacob, Jingleheimer Smith, just kidding, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, Jacob, the son of Alphilus, Simon, that's my son, the zealot, Judas, the son of Jacob, and the number of women, including Mary, Jesus' mother. His brothers were there as well. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding day and night. These are the only people in history who saw both sides of the cross. They saw both sides of what happened pre-cross, the message that Jesus shared because he was speaking to the cross and beyond it, but it also was addressing what happened pre-cross. Remember, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. We don't live after the law anymore. The Jews were, and Jesus said, ha, none of you can keep it. So I will be the only one who is capable and qualified to keep the law. I will keep it. And he did it, and he sacrificed himself, bringing an end to that system of law. The only law we live by now is called the law of the life of Christ in us. That's the only law we live by. Christ in you. Not rules. There are some rules. Try living in a household. You've got to have some rules. right? Do you, have, do you have to wash your hands before dinner? Supposed to, right? Wink, wink. And you always do. You're <laughs> supposed to keep your room clean. You're supposed to tidy up. You're supposed, like There are these jobs. that, But the jobs have to do with living in community. The rules that need to be there have to do with relationships and connecting and having functionality. We're not talking about rules between Christ and us. Christ has already made you right. So don't say it's about the rules. The, the rules that are part of a fellowship, there has to be some guidelines or there'll be chaos. You know, they're, they're, they're to encourage free relationship. Rules that control people are about stifling relationship. I'm not into that. And I haven't got it all figured out. But here's something that happened that was big. They got together to pray. They're of one passion, one mind. Are you of one mind and one passion right now with those around you? For Hope Fellowship, as a small church, I wish Rod was here. I think, how many years old are we? Anybody remember? 25 years old. Just a late teenager. <laughs> 25. I have watched a core. I've been here 16 years, I think. I've watched a core of people have one passion, one mind, and their goal is not to grow a church. It's very different than what I've ever been taught. Instead, their passion is to give hope and grace to all they meet. That's what this is about. And to help everyone grow in grace. That's what that image on the wall over there is, the seed, the sapling, and the tree. That is our purpose as Hope Fellowship. To have a future and a hope, you betcha. Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, 11, I think it is. Is that right? You know, I've come to give you a future and a hope, not despair. Well, that's great. That's Old Covenant and nice, but it was fulfilled already. Colossians 1, 27. It's done. Christ in you. The hope of glory. <laughs> now we get to celebrate it and grow up. Child levels the seed. 
to grow up as children. First thing from 1 John 2 is speak to children because you know your sins are forgiven and you know your father. So your father means you know your identity and number two, you know you're forgiven. Many believers do not even know they are already forgiven. Oh my goodness. Then it speaks to the young adults. I speak to you who are young in the faith for you've overcome the evil one and the word of God resides in you. I think I'm there. That's what stage I'm at. I'm still growing and, and overcoming stuff because the overcomer lives in me. It's been overcome. And when I believe it's overcome, it's overcome. Let that be a lesson for some of you. And then it says, I speak to you fathers or adults because you know him who has been from the beginning. What's he talking about? Well, the book of John says, in the beginning was the word, capital W. The word, anyway, on and on. He's speaking of that word. He's, they, they, we as mature adults are to know intimately God the Father and the Son, and we can trust them. But not everybody does. Some of us have a lot of growing up to do still. Uh, that's what we're here to do, encourage Spur one another on to grow in grace. First of all, believe you're loved. Believe you're accepted. Believe you're liked. Yes, God likes you. Isn't that weird? I know he has to love you because that's his job. <laughs> he does love you, but he likes you too. We don't even like ourselves, so that's hard to believe. Trust me. This message is for you personally. And in the book of Acts, we're going to see the whole progression of this becoming truer and truer and truer. It's like <gasps> the power of God coming out of each of these individuals as revelations hit their minds. Going, no way! They begin to speak it with boldness because it became true from the inside out. <laughs> I got to stop. Yeah, we're done. Oh! Okay, this part's kind of boring. They just got a replacement of a, you know, Judas, you know how he died? And so they had to they cast lots, rolled dice, and got new, new disciples to replace them. So that's what that part's on. Good. We'll continue next week from after that. But there's a lot of snippets of exciting truth all the way through, and uh, I can hardly wait for the next ones because I'm already seeing uh, a number of topics that you and I are going to like. I'm not going to go through verse by verse by verse. I just had to start this at the beginning. Then we're going to highlight story by story. So let's pray.